Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This week, we've got something a little bit different. It's not uncommon, and maybe one of the coolest things I've seen develop since starting the podcast is to get questions, questions from, from you guys. And this week, the podcast is built around just that. It was a question that someone wrote in, uh, a friend of the show named Ken Begnall. He asked a good question, and it was a question that comes up quite a bit. So I said, uh, emailed him back and just said, why don't you come on so we can talk about it? And his question was this. It was, what about fat adaptation? I feel like I have to eat a lot of dietary fat to enter this, quote, mystical state of fat adaptation. What's the truth behind that? How do I go into it? Give me some insight here. So what you're about to listen to is um, basically a rundown of that answer and will hopefully help drive home a few points. There's a little bit of an extra thing in there um, just on other topics of nutrition as well. And our hope is that you'll be able to take something away from it, apply it to your own training, your own nutrition, or anything that you've got going on. As always, if you've got questions, you can email those over to me at info at v2pnutrition.com. There is a ton of other free resources on our website. There's the new foundations course. There's a lot of information there that you are more than welcome to take advantage of. And hopefully this is just another part of that. So without further ado, here's Ken and I going over, what's the deal with fat adaptation? Do I need to be eating more fat or is there more to the story? I appreciate you jumping on. Didn't mean to catch you off oh, yeah. guard where I was like, oh, you, sent me, you sent me the email. And I was like, man, this would just, this is a question that comes up a lot. And I've learned that I can, I, I could do it. I try to do a good job of anticipating what someone's wanting to know within a question versus just answering the question at face value, really trying to think, okay, right. well, if I'm in this guy's shoes, he doesn't just want like a one sentence answer. He probably wants to know some detail. And I found that really the only way to pull that out is to, talk to someone. <laughs> so like I'll, I'll do a, just a small intro, like you've probably heard on the past podcast and I'm going to read your question and then just sort of dive into it almost like we're not even recording. And okay. I've got no, um, no expectation at all in terms of like, okay, well, I really want this to be X number of minutes and this is what I want the episode to look like. I truly right. no expectation at all. So no pressure on you. Okay. okay. Very good. Well, so good I'm going to, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna read I'm gonna read the question, then I'm gonna have you okay. sort of dive into what you meant by it, and then we can go from there. All okay. right. So you said send me the email. You said, "Hey Kyle, hope all is well. Appreciate your content, and your podcast. Always happy to see a new podcast from you." Which I appreciate that. If you ever need to fill a podcast with a few minutes, maybe an interesting topic would be the fat adaptation topic. I love the idea of using my stored fat as energy source. But usually when I hear of fat adaptation, that usually includes consuming a lot of dietary fat. I guess I'm wondering how to achieve my fat as a fuel source without consuming too much extra fat, which I'm assuming is, is dietary fat, if that's possible. Thanks again. It's appreciated. So with that foundation being laid, can you dive in a little bit deeper to describe what your understanding of fat adaptation is and how that goes hand in hand with what you consume on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. Yeah. Um, my understanding is if you want to use fat as fuel, then you need to cut the carbs. So you're not using the glucose and all that good stuff, but you're using fat as the fuel source, which to me, I don't fully get because I'd much rather just use my stored fat instead of dietary fat. And if I'm, I have plenty of stored and I'm consuming dietary, how does it 
how does it use one or the other or both or it's a great question and it and the reason i loved the question so much was it's a it is probably the greatest and i don't mean to call you out when i say this but it's probably the greatest misconception about fat adaptation the 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 idea of fat adaptation is okay well I need to eat a lot of dietary fat to use fat as fuel. And that's not necessarily the, the idea or the goal. Fat adaptation happens when you remove or you reduce your carbohydrate intake. Now, the sort of the quote unquote why behind that happens is a lot less mystical than many of the low carb blogs would want you to believe. Right. So essentially the body is always going to utilize what it has the most of. So if you've reduced carbohydrate intake, you've probably reduced calorie intake. And that means you've probably got the most fat, be it fueled or dietary. So it's going to just prefer that that's fat adaptation at its core. When you're talking about, um, training and you're talking about exercise, the body is using stored fat not necessarily dietary fat. So you don't have to increase your dietary fat intake to become a quote, fat burner, if that makes sense. So stored body fat breaks down to produce fuel for exercise, daily life, etc. Carbon dioxide, which of course you breathe off as well as water. I think what's important to like to, to highlight is the value of that right like so if you if you look up a lot of endurance training almost every time you if you put if you punch in you know into google endurance training and nutrition and this would go hand in hand with like so you and i know through each other through the hunting community backcountry hunting community and you know trips over the course of several days you could you could certainly call that an endurance event if somebody's getting getting after it pretty good the reason this comes up so much is because obviously you have to carry less fuel if you're using your fat stores. But what people, what, what's never really explained well is in, in reality, the real advantage of using fat as part of your fuel is you preserve the carbohydrate fuel that you do have. So hands down, still, whenever you look at the literature, when you start talking about performance and being able to really move at a quick pace, carbohydrates still is the predominant fuel source. So that's the other thing that you have to have as a part of this conversation is that when intensity gets higher, so if you're, if you're doing an endurance event or if you're in a backcountry hunt and you're trying to, let's say, you know, get to a saddle and you're climbing a lot, the body is not going to be burning fat. So you're still needing to consume carbohydrate. The real advantage to using some fat as a part of your fuel source is that you're preserving the fuel source within the muscle. So when the body or when you have to call on it, when the need arises, it's there. You're not depleted, you're not too low, but you're really only using that when intensities are lower. And I think another important part to point out is you're never just using one. Like you, there is no scenario where you are just using fat as fuel. You're always using a combination of either fat or carbohydrate. Hopefully you're not using any protein. You'll use a little bit, but that should be a very small fraction as long as you're getting enough calories from carbohydrates and fats. So the intensity piece is an important thing to point out as well. Okay. Okay. Now, is there a way to... I'm sitting there, I guess my end goal would be make myself as efficient as possible burning stored fat as opposed to 
uh, dietary fat or carbs or anything else, you know, is, or is it just training related that's going to make you burn that stored fat? It's both. So like, for example, there's a couple of ways. That's the other piece of this is you don't have quite as much say in terms of determining what the body is using as the fuel source. It's mostly going to be a hormonal response. And when you look at the literature, it, when your body chooses to issue that response is largely going to be driven by the individual. So, you know, my body may not issue that until my maximum capacity gets really high, whereas yours might be pretty low, right? So that's an important piece to remember as well. However, there are a couple of things that we can do to at least usher this along. Now, I think there are some important caveats to, 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 to review as we talk about this. So we'll go through them a little bit. Number one, you don't have to eat dietary fat, but you would have to have a lower percentage of your calories from carbohydrate. Because again, the body's going to recognize what it has the most of, and it will use that first, right? So if you don't have a lot of carbohydrate, it's going to be using your stored body fat, not necessarily your dietary fat as a source of fuel. So that's an important thing to remember. However, and this is the caveat that I mentioned, if you choose to go with a lower carbohydrate intake, you cannot expect PRs on any performance, right? So if it normally takes you two and a half hours to ascend 4,000 vertical feet and get to a saddle, it's going to take you a lot longer going on a low carb, um, go, going in on low carbohydrates, right? So, cause remember intensity plays a key. So you can't expect great performance eating low carbohydrates. You have to slow down. You may be able to do okay getting up to that saddle, but you're going to have to change the expectation on how long it, it takes to get there depending on that. The second piece is you could exercise or you could train fasted, but there again, you have to make sure that you're doing very low to moderate intensity type of work without a lot of you know high intensity work. So for example, you're moving along a relatively flat trail without any expectation of big climbs along it. You might be able to get away with being fasted in that and your body using more of that stored fat for fuel rather than the stored carbohydrate for fuel. But again, change in expectation, you can't exactly expect primo performance out of yourself on that, if that matters, if that makes sense, I mean. The third thing, the third thing, and maybe one of the most important is exercising for really, really longer periods of time. So the higher the duration, the longer you're moving, the higher the use of fat as fuel as carbohydrates are trying to be preserved. So the name of the game really is preservation of the carbohydrate so that when you come upon a task that requires more intensity, it's there. Versus if you're always moving at a fast pace, you're always burning through those carb stores, you're constantly having to replace it. And so you could make the argument, okay, well, if I'm on the mountain or if I'm in a race or if I'm in whatever, and I don't really care about how much weight I carry. I'll carry six days worth of food, 6,000 calories per day. What about that? Then, then you're basically looking at a net neutral. That guy could just keep eating, keep eating, keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. And there really is no concern about using fat as, as fuel, right? I mean, that's, that's the main idea is you're trying to save some weight, preserve the glycogen that's in there. Or if, like I'm thinking about the ultra endurance community, they're trying to take less breaks. They don't want to stop as often. 
So the longer they can stretch out that time between refuelings, the better the time, the better the race, the higher they, you know, the higher they might rank. But you do not have to consume dietary fat as fuel to, you know, quote, become fat adapted. And that terminology, that phrasing was largely um, made popular by the low carb community. And it is somewhat of a misnomer. For example, if I were to go out right now and I had no carbs today and I had no carbs yesterday or very little, right? Like, let's say my normal carbohydrate intakes 300 grams per day. Yesterday I had 100, today I had 50, and I were to go out. My body is going to first use most of the carbohydrate stores, but after that, it's going to use fat. I'm already quote fat adapted simply by the nature of my my dietary choice. That is part exactly what I was wondering about because you know you hear it's what five seven days whatever until you're fat adapted. So yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, no, it's a, it's a it's a good question, but. You most certainly don't have to commit to this protocol. And I think that like the, the main thing to think about is just if someone was interested in this, it would basically be a couple of modifications to their day-to-day intake. But I think you really have to look hard at A, is it providing any sort of an advantage? And then B, make sure that you understand by doing this, you're not saying that you shouldn't eat carbs, that you still should be fueling you know, no more than every two hours or three hours while on the trail. Because again, you're, unless you're just in the flattest part of the entire planet and planning, you know, to stay on the flattest trail, walking at the slowest speeds, you're going to want and need some carbohydrate at some point if you have expectation of yourself, you know, being able to move comfortably and at a reasonable pace. The the, the other caveat that, you know, really haven't said was, when you do this, sure, you may become your 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 body may look to fat as fuel a little bit faster than someone who's not been trying to focus on this. The flip side of that coin, though, is whenever you do start to use carbohydrates, and I'll give you a scenario. When you do start to use carbohydrates, you have worse utilization of those carbs than someone who had been training for them. So let's say that you think, okay, well, I'm going to train fasted. I'm going to train low carbohydrates to try to put myself in this quote, fat adapted state. And then whenever the race comes or whenever the hunt comes or the hunting season comes or whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to start incorporating those again so I can get the benefits of both doesn't quite work that way because a lot of literature would suggest when you train in that fashion and you try to reintroduce carbohydrates, you're not able to utilize them as well as someone who had trained with them. So there, like the, the phrasing that I love is there's no free lunch. Like everybody's always trying to hack, you know, fi- find these hacks to be better. And they think they finally figured out there isn't any, there's always, almost always a negative consequence to every positive. And so really what you're evaluating is you know each person's going to have to ask themselves do the advantages outweigh the the disadvantages here because there really is no better you know good better best way there are a number of different ways and a guy or a gal has to sit there and ask themselves is that way better than mine is, you know would would that be a better way for me to do it or not makes sense it makes a lot of sense and i don't know if this ties in or not but i started thinking about it as well the meta metabolic flexibility that you hear or i hear going yeah. around this and that i mean that's kind of just 
how your body reacts as it is. Hundred percent, hundred percent, right? Like so, the 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 whole um, the whole idea of metabolic flexibility would be that your body is able to utilize multiple different fuel sources, no matter the situation. And it, it, the body's just so much smarter than we think that it is. I mean, we are not smarter than it. The body is going to utilize fuel based on what's available to it, right? Have you been eating any carbs or haven't you? Have you, do you have a lot of dietary fat or I'm sorry, uh, stored body fat or don't you? What's your protein consumption look like? Because that's the other deal, right? If you're in a calorie deficit, no carbohydrates, but you're providing a lot of protein, your body's going to take that protein and not not allow it. It's not going to go towards recovery of the muscle. It's going to go towards fuel because there's no other fuel source. So you can't, you can't really hack the system, right? And so from a metabolic flexibility standpoint, really, it's just going to hinge on what you're doing. It, it, everybody's flexible, right? I mean, I, if someone who knows nothing about nutrition and has never dabbled in any of the different methods for you know nutrition, whether that's low carb or high carb or low fat, high fat, training fasted, zone two cardio. If no one's ever dabbled in that, if they were to tomorrow decide to start running and not eat any carbs, their quote metabolic flexibility, they would begin burning fat after they used their carb stores if they ran long enough, right? I mean, everyone's flexible and that flexibility is going to be based on entirely on what you're giving it, the intensity of, you know, the exercise. And let's say that, you know, someone's listening, they don't train for anything, right? They just work in an office. Okay. Well, if that's the case and you were to reduce your carbohydrate intake, the body would begin using your stored fat as energy because it's what it has the most available and you would start to lose weight. And that's why, you know, things like the ketogenic diet work, it's got nothing to do with the state of ketosis. You simply have reduced your caloric intake. The body has began to use stored body fat as fuel. And so the weight drops off. When I lost um, weight 15 years ago, I ate crazy high carbs, but I made sure I was in a deficit. Since my body perceived this guy is in a deficit, it realized we've got to continue to keep him alive in some way. So it started to burn stored body fat, 140 pounds of it. <laughs> so that, I mean, it, the, the method to the method to the approach is not sacred. If you create a deficit, the body will reduce, the, the body will allow you to lose weight. When you're doing training and stuff, which is really more of what you're talking about, the, the name of the game really is you want to train, you want to approach the objective, you want to hunt, you want to be on the trail, you want to try to get to that saddle at a very low to moderate pace. You don't want to be in a rush about it. That's going to allow you to preserve that carbohydrate stores for when you need them. And it's going to allow the body to use predominantly stored body fat as you continue to move up that mountain. Now, if you're still meeting your calorie demands, then you won't ever lose weight, right? So there's a very right. there's a very complicated thing in here where you hear me say, oh, well, if I'm using stored body fat, then I should be losing a lot of weight whenever I do this. Not necessarily because again, there's always a balance of, of energy here, energy intake versus energy expenditure. And if those two are equal at the end of the day, you're not going to lose any weight. 
So that's an important distinction to make. And it's something that your question really set the stage for of like, okay, well, what about dietary fat versus stored fat? Because one of the greatest confusions among people is they believe if I eat a lot of fat, that's what I'll use. And that's not necessarily the case. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. I appreciate you explaining it like that. It um, clears that up. Maybe not what I want to hear, but it clears it up. <laughs> yeah. I have the fatty steaks every night. And I think, and you still could, right? I mean, you definitely yeah, still yeah. could. I, I think the, if a guy or if a girl said, look, I really want to try to preserve as much fuel as possible during these endeavors, the best thing that they could do is to train, train longer, train slower, and just put the miles on. Like, again, the phrase I love is there's no free lunch. The only way to improve what you're describing is put miles on at a very low to moderate intensity. Like just a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, the good folks over at uphill athlete on talked all mm -hmm. about this zone two training. Right. And really like, if you want to take all of the confusion, all of the numbers, all the data, all of the, all, all of the stuff out of it, really what we were saying is, okay, train at a spot that doesn't seem really, really challenging. By doing that, you've got better fuel economy. You're not burning few through fuel stores really, really quickly and you don't have to refuel quite as often. But again, the part that everyone misses in that is you've got to move slow. <laughs> so you get people that go to the mountain and they like they want to get to that saddle ASAP and they can't figure out why halfway up the, you know, halfway up that 4000 foot climb, they just hit an absolute wall. And it's like, well, because the intensity was so high, the, you're not burning fat at a high intensity. You've got to slow down if you want to make that 4000 foot climb. Right. And you know what? It was that podcast I listened to that actually got me kind of got the question going. And so I bothered you shortly after it with that because that was that made sense how she explained it and everything and kind of got the wheels turning for me. So have you, have you, have you been in a situation like that where you're out and you're just like, maybe you're chasing something, right? And, and you really, right. you really want to get on the horn and get over there and you just hit a wall midway. Unfortunately, it was a lot closer to midway, but yes, <laughs> absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's that probably that true for all of us, right? I mean, we get a little bit of the ways in and like, I think I've, I think I said this on the uphill athlete podcast. Like one of the things that really made me look at this was I had invested a ton of time training for something very specific, went out to do it and just felt like, man, for the amount of time that I invested in that, I feel like I should have done better. I am missing something in this and really just went down the rabbit hole of like trying to figure out what in the heck happened. Because if, if, if time invested should equal fruit from that investment, meaning it shouldn't be, it sh I shouldn't have struggled the way that I should have, that I did, what am I missing? And, and that's what really kind of started to show me like, and that's, that's the other thing with zone two training is that if you invest that time, then you all of a sudden start to notice the speed does increase. So what right. used to cost you 140 beats a minute, let's say at a 20 minute per mile pace. Now all of a sudden 140 beats per minute allows you to move at a 15 minute pace. And that's something that's happening behind the scenes as you train. Right. And so you don't, you're not always compromising speed, but you've got to invest a lot of time on your feet at a specific intensity 
to really improve the speed while still having good fuel economy and not just burning through your stores like a raging inferno. Okay. No, that makes sense. It does. It, uh, I mean, it's a good thing I'm slow. That's what I need to do. So that'll work out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. No, it's a great info. It's a lot. And honestly, I, you know, a lot of people would say that it's, it's a funner way to go about it because it's just more enjoyable. You know, you throw an audio book right. in, you throw, you download a few podcasts and you just put the time in, you know, and, it, and now I will say, at least from my experience, it's not something I'd want to do year round because it does take time. And, you know, yeah. the, the one thing that none of us have, you know, enough of is is that we don't have enough time right we're always divided between our personal goals or our work and our family and our kids and, and whatnot and and you know endurance is the case where yeah the more time you invest the better you get at it but that comes at a cost and so it certainly isn't something that i'd want to do year round just because right. you know, I, I have a family but um yeah it's it's uh it's pretty fascinating stuff to watch now that all makes sense and helps helps clear up some of those questions. So I well, good. I'm glad to hear, it. and I appreciate you asking the question. Kind of, I hope I didn't hope you don't feel like I used you as a guinea pig to get the answer. But when you when you'd asked that, I thought, man, this is just such a good topic because it's something that comes up so often. Ken and I dropped connection there at the end, but I want to be sure to say thanks to him for jumping on the podcast and and a really good one to have him on to cover because it certainly is one that's come up quite a bit and I've always addressed it a little bit, but never in in a long format like that. So hopefully you found that helpful. We will be back again with another episode of the Valley to Peak Nutrition podcast again here in a couple of weeks like Ken did. I invite you to send any questions you've got over to info at v2pnutrition.com and I would be more than happy to cover those on a podcast or maybe just have you on and we could talk about it on air if it if it would be helpful to other people. Appreciate you guys listening. If you could take just a second to rank the podcast in your platform, that helps us spread the word about good nutrition information and uh, even pass it along to a friend. Maybe you guys have been in a discussion about this whole topic and, and training or what have you, or maybe this goes hand in hand with the whole zone two, zone two thing that we talked about with Uphill Athlete. Pass this along to them, might be helpful. If not, appreciate you joining me and I'll see you back here again in a couple of weeks. Have a great week, everyone.